Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, we proudly bring to you Mormonism Live! Radio Free Mormon, this is uh, Doubt Rehearsal 150, the pre-rec for Lazy Learners, number 205. Class is in session, my friend. Welcome back to Mormonism Live. Thank you so much, Bill Real. It's great to be back together again with you for another oh, episode. Blast. Yeah, this is a lot of fun. You're in charge this week. I'm going to get out of the way. My job is to make sure the right things go up on the screen, but you're going to help us see a major dilemma in Mormon theology, and uh, I'm, I can't wait. I'm excited as I've helped you prepare for this all week. Not only dilemma, but deception. And if I were a general authority, I could come up with something else that starts with the letter D to complete that triumvirate. But <laughs> at any rate, at any rate, yes, my challenge tonight, my mission, should I decide to accept it, and I have, is to try and get through all of this material in under an hour. We've got lots of audio. We've got lots of video. Bill Real is the AV specialist, the audiovisual guy. So let's see if I can do this. Now, first off, let, let me let everybody know, we're not going to go into all the stuff that demonstrates that Brigham Young taught the Adam God theory. Okay, we'd be here for two hours doing that alone. We are going to go to one piece of information, a conclusive piece of information, just so if, if there happens to be anybody out there who's not familiar with what the Adam God theory is and has only heard about it in hushed whispers in the corridors of the church, You'll know what it is. And this comes from the lecture at the Vale at the St. George Temple, which Brigham Young put together. You remember Joseph Smith gave him the endowment. Joseph Smith dies in 1844. It's a little over 30 years later. It's finally being committed to writing. And uh, Brigham Young has basically been tinkering with this over the course of three decades. And he's trying to do the best job he can of uh, getting what it was that Joseph gave him orally uh, 30 years before, but he also decides that as part of this first presentation of the endowment in the first temple in the West, which is the St. George Temple, there's only one temple in town. There's only one temple in the territory. It's St. George, and it's opening in 1877, and Brigham Young, right before he dies, he passes away in August of 1877, so now it's January, February of 1877. He's in St. George, and he wants to put his imprimatur of interpretation on what's going to happen in the endowment. And as part of that, he conceives the idea that he will give personally, which he does, a lecture at the veil. So it's like all this stuff may be really confusing to, to you people, but let me explain what's going on here. And what it is, is it's Adam God. Now, there's about 20 different places where Brigham Young is on record as teaching the Adam God theory. It first makes its appearance in 1852. Its last utterance from him is in 1877, 25 years later, right? And there are certain places where he'll say, let's say there's five main points to the Adam God theory, and there are about. And some places he'll say uh, points one, two, and three. Other places he may say four and five. Some places he may say two and four. But here in this lecture at the Vale, he says all of them, one, two, three, four, five. And it's so plain that really it would be hard to dispute it. Now it's put in the journal of the temple recorder at the time, whose name was John Nuttall. And so that's where we go to, by the way, in order to get to this, this is amazing. You can find all of this information at Fair Mormon. Well, I guess it's the artist 
formerly known as Fair Mormon. It's now Fair again. But if you go there, they have this question. And do you have that up there, Bill? Yeah, here's the question. If you go to Fair, um, you find this question. Was the Adam-God theory ever taught as part of the temple endowment ceremony as something called the lecture at the veil? So they get this question enough that they uh, have to deal with it or feel they need to deal with it. And what they're going to do is they're going to go on and on and on. And they'll give a lot of very helpful information and documents, which we'll uh, go to tonight. I mean, if Air Mormon has to cop to this, you know there's no way around it, right? So in answer to the question that they themselves pose, their, their short answer is Brigham Young attempted to introduce the concept of Adam God into the endowment as far as it had been revealed to him, and he was able to interpret it. So they go through this whole thing. The answer is yes. Are, are you there? Are you are are you on mute? I am. So as far as a prophet is able to interpret it. Yeah. Okay. So Brigham Young may have misinterpreted it and so may many other prophets. Right. It was so complicated that he received this revelation, but he couldn't interpret it. Because if he'd interpreted it correctly, of course, it would match what the current leaders of the church are teaching, right? Unless they're misinterpreting it. Uh, yeah. It becomes kind of this, yeah, spiral. However, the funny thing about it is, is that they ask the question, the answer is yes, but they just can't bring themselves to say yes. The answer to the question, was the Adam-God theory ever taught as part of the temple endowment ceremony is something called the lecture at the veil? Answers, yes. But they can't just say yes. They have to go into all these pages of discourse about it, which ultimately means yes. And of course, like most things in life, this reminded me of a scene from my favorite movie, Ghostbusters. Do you have that clip there? Yeah, let's do that. About how when the answer is yes, just say yes. Ray, when someone asks you if you're a god, you say yes. <laughs> Boom. And if someone asks you if Brigham Young taught the Adam God theory at the lecture of the veil, what should you say, Bill Real? Uh, you should say yes. Exactly. Because and that's the answer. Does with a thousand words. Okay. So if we can go back to that article, it'll go down. It tells us a lot about the uh, background of how this lecture was uh, created by Brigham Young, how it was given by Brigham Young, and how it was instituted as part of the endowment under Brigham Young. So once again, this is the only temple there is. It's not like there's a Manti temple or a Logan temple or a Salt Lake temple. Those are all in the future. And they've got, they've got I think, the first floor complete of the St. George temple. And so Brigham Young, feeling some necessity to uh, get this thing finalized, perhaps a foreboding of his mortality, uh, makes this into a lecture. And John Nuttall writes it down in his diary. And they have the part of his diary here at the Fair Mormon webpage. Got this? Yeah, so you want the diary. I can pull it up in a different spot unless you're – where are you seeing it on the Fair Mormon site? Is it right well, there? Uh, that's the best description of how it came to be. You'll have to continue to scroll. Copy of the lecture. Here right? we go. And yeah. here here it is, that that text right there. Yep. And if you want to start at the beginning, at the top, we're not going to read through the whole thing. But this is from John Nettles' diary. And this is what he – uh, reports as being a synopsis, I would think would be fair to say, because the actual lecturer is clocked in at about 30 minutes long. This was his synopsis of what it was that Brigham Young uh, said he wanted to have uh, said at the lecture on the veil. So let me go to my notes here. Okay. And starting at the top there, really quick, we're not going to read it all. I said that, but here we go. In the creation, got that? Yep. In the creation, this is the lecture at the veil in the St. George Temple. In the creation, the gods entered into an agreement about forming this earth and putting Michael or Adam upon it. These things of which I have been speaking are what are termed the mysteries of godliness. So these are the mysteries. 
but they will enable you to understand the expression of Jesus made while in Jerusalem. This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom thou, whom thou hast sent. That is a quote from John chapter 17, verse 3. This, at least when I got my endowment back in 1979, and for a number of years after that, this scripture figured prominently still as what I think was a vestige of the lecture at the veil. And, and that, through, be, that should be one of the big things that prophets do, right? Like, cause this is life eternal to know the only true God, right? And to know his son. So prophets of, if anything, should be able to clarify the identity and true nature of heavenly father and his son. Yes, you are correct. Sir. All right. But of course the big mystery is that when Brigham Young is talking about God, knowing God, he's talking about Adam and that you need to know that Adam is God, our father and our God. And he's the one who sent Jesus Christ. And that's the great mystery that we need to know in order to have eternal life. Mm. So if we go back to this quote, I'm going to skip down to, we have heard a great deal about Adam. It's not too big a skip. We have heard a great deal about Adam and Eve, how they were formed and et cetera. Do you have that bill? I'm just looking here. I can do this. It's just about five lines down from where I stopped before. That's not going to work. I'll continue reading while you look. Okay. You're reading it. Some think he was made like an Adobe. And the Lord breathed into him the breath of life. For we read, from dust thou art, and into dust shalt thou return. Well, he was made of the dust of the earth, but not of this earth. How many times have you heard that in the LDS church, Bill? Yeah, that there's other earths which these materials were made. Michael, Jehovah, go down. They're matter unorganized. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the idea that Adam was made of the dust of the earth, but not, not this the one. dust of this earth. That's a vestige of the Adam-God theory and the lecture at the veil. Of course, it's been divorced from the Adam-God theory, but these things have a way of hanging around. He was made, this is Adam, he was made just the same way you and I are made, but on another earth. Adam was an immortal being when he came on this earth. He had lived on an earth similar to ours. He had received the priesthood and the keys thereof and had been faithful in all things and gained his resurrection and his exaltation and was crowned with glory, immortality and eternal lives and was numbered with the gods for such he became through his faithfulness and had, pay attention now, and had begotten all the spirit. I think that's a, a typo. I think that should be spirits, but and had begotten all the spirit that was to come to this earth and Eve. Our common mother, who is the mother of all living, bore those spirits in the celestial world. Which means that Eve is our heavenly mother. Yes, according to the Adam-God theory, Eve is our heavenly mother. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, At least for the best of us, I think. Yeah. There might be some other who aren't so good that Eve wasn't their heavenly mother, but... I don't know. And when this earth was organized by Elohim, Jehovah, and Michael, who was Adam, our common father, Adam and Eve had the privilege to continue the work of progression, consequently came to this earth and commenced the great work of forming tabernacles for those spirits to dwell in. And when Adam and those that assisted him had completed this kingdom, our earth, he came to it and slept and forgot all and became like an infant child. So there you have four of the five parts of the Adam-God theory right there in this lecture at the veil. And then finally, I'm skipping down toward the bottom of this. And the only reason why is because there's stuff there that said that is not that unusual, even according to a, a current understanding of Mormonism. But now it gets to the relationship between Adam and Jesus. And this is interesting where it says father Adam's oldest son, Jesus, the savior, who is the heir of the family is father Adam's first begotten in the spirit world. 
who according to the flesh is the only begotten as it is written. In his divinity, he, that's Adam, in his divinity, he having gone back into the spirit world and came in the spirit to Mary and she conceived. For when Adam and Eve got through with their work in this earth, they did not lay their bodies down in the dust, but returned to the spirit world from whence they came. Okay, so there it is. That is the Adam-God theory as articulated in the lecture at the veil. So everybody who went through their endowment session in the St. George Temple was treated to the lecture at the veil to help them understand what the endowment actually meant. This was presented in all the temples that were currently operating, a.k.a. solely the St. George Temple. Yes. <laughs> yes. And after that, it, it sort of becomes a mystery. You know, how long did it was it uh, used as the lecture at the veil? Uh, some think it was around for another 25 years and was finally removed in 1902. Others think it was removed before that. Uh, it's hard to say exactly. What's remarkable is that we have the documentation that it was actually given thanks to John Nuttall and his diary. Otherwise, we might not know about this, at least not in this detail. Yeah. So we know that this is definitely what Brigham Young was teaching at the time. And, you know, like I say, there's vestiges that lived on in the temple in the lecture at the Vale, which they continued to have a lecture at the Vale until 1990 when there were some major modifications done to the endowment, you may recall. But then it was taken out. But when I went through, it was definitely a lot of emphasis being put on John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they might know thee, the eternal God in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent, that was still there. And another thing that was really interesting that was still there was this idea that we were told when we went through the endowment to help us understand the creation, that the creation account, this is what was said, the creation account is purely figurative insofar as the man and the woman are concerned. So there was a lecture part of which said, we've got all this creation stuff going on in the first third of the endowment session, right? And all of that, you know, is literal, except for the man and the woman. So you need to know that's purely figurative, this whole thing about uh, forming out of the dust of the earth and then Eve being formed out of the rib, okay? Right. And of course, now that we know what the original lecture on the veil was, we understand why that was in there. Although I was just scratching my head over that at the time saying, what does that mean? 1979, right. November, going through right. for the first without, time? Without Adam God, without those teachings and without understanding that theology, these vestiges don't make a lot of sense. Right. So now, having said that much, Brigham Young passes away in 19, or excuse me, no, he didn't live that long, 1877 in August. And now this, this, doctrine which he has taught for 25 years from 1852 to 1877 and for however long it was taught in the saint george temple after his demise through the lecture at the veil this is something that has been promulgated by the uh, the mouthpiece of the lord lots of people believed it so there were some who didn't and they had trouble with it one of them was orson pratt in the council of the 12. but what ended up happening was that over time the church began to distance itself distance itself from this teaching. For instance, Wilford Woodruff in April 1895, okay, this is five years after the manifesto, and this is almost 20 years after uh, Brigham Young has passed away, but it's causing so much trouble because the church is sending out all these missionaries into the field and they're trying to convert people to Mormonism and the missionaries are saying, should we talk about Adam being God to investigators? And there's all these questions. And finally, Wilford Woodruff is president of the church says, and this is, uh, I think, from April General Conference, 1895. Before I sit down, I want to say a word to the elders of Israel on another subject. 
cease troubling yourselves about who God is, who Adam is, who Christ is, who Jehovah is. For heaven's sake, let these things alone. Why trouble yourselves about these things? God is God. Christ is Christ. The Holy Ghost is the Holy Ghost. That should be enough for you and me to know. I say this because we are troubled every little while with inquiries from elders, anxious to know who God is, who Christ is, and who Adam is. I say to the elders of Israel, stop this. It's like uh, Elder Uchtdorf, stop it. We have had letter after letter from elders abroad wanting to know concerning these things. Adam is the first man. He was placed in the Garden of Eden and is our great progenitor. God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Ghost are the same yesterday, today, and forever. That should be sufficient for us to know. I so, also have to be honest, there may be some of these questions that there is no answer to. Yes. Those, I think, would be the ones we avoid. <laughs> Perfect. Not even planned. That was great. That was exactly what he's doing here. He's acknowledging the fact that, yeah, it's a teaching in the church, but just leave it alone, okay? Don't talk about it, all right? All we have to know is that God is God. We don't have to know if he's Adam or not, right? Leaving open the possibility he is. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> that to me is crazy. But again, it starts off being one thing. It gets too uncomfortable and it becomes com something completely else. And now, as we'll get into, uh, these things don't mesh very well once you're on both sides of uh, understanding each side of that argument. Yes. And so um, there's a number of statements that we could go to. We're just going to hit some high points to give the broad outline. Uh, in 1902, so this is seven years after Wilford Woodruff, we have Charles Penrose, Charles W. Penrose. He was a general authority. You can tell by the middle initial. And he was a member of the first presidency. And what he says in something you can see is moving further away from the Adam God theory is, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, that's this is Charles Penrose, has never formulated or adopted any theory concerning the subject treated upon by President Young as to Adam. Okay. Wouldn't you say that when you present something at the veil in an operating temple of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, it is safe to say that is part of your formal theology? I would think so. I would think so. But, you know, they've got to back away from it somehow. And this is becoming a thorn in their side. So one of the first things they're going to say is that, first off, they're going to demote it to a theory. Notice he uses the word theory. He says the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has never formulated or adopted any theory. Okay. Brigham Young never called it a theory. He called it doctrine. He called it revelation. He called it something you have to believe if you want to be saved. <laughs> but he never called it a theory. It's, so this it's is the only it's not the only disavowed theory in Mormonism that comes from Brigham Young, right? That's correct. That's correct. Something about blacks and the priesthood. Yeah. Is that what you're thinking about? That's one of them. So this is the demotion. This is the distancing. It's like when President Uchtdorf got demoted to being an apostle in the Quorum of the Twelve. And so now he's no longer President Uchtdorf. Now he is Elder Uchtdorf. Same way it goes. The Adam God theory goes from being doctrine to and revelation to being a theory. Because it's easier to discount a theory than it is something that was doctrine or revelation the way Brigham Young presented it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now let's skip forward to the 1970s because now we've got some audio visual from General Conference. And the subject of the Adam God theory was of particular interest, apparently, in the latter half of the 1970s. Remember, I joined the church in 1979. But in 1975, Vaughn J. Featherstone, a big hitter among the 70s as far as speakers went, 
He wrote a lot of popular books. He was always very a uh, popular speaker. And he gave a talk in April 1975 General Conference. I think it's called the Self-Inflicted Purging or something like that. One of the worst titles of a talk ever. But he manages to find time to shame people who are talking or learning or finding interesting the Adam God theory. The timestamp is 12.00 in the talk, and it goes for 20 seconds. Do you have that, Bill? You forgive her. Well, he took that and was kind enough to do it. Another case uh, of those who uh, talk about the Adam God theory, I guess when they talk about all these different theories and things in the church that uh, they don't have time to study faith and repentance. Uh, maybe we ought to get back to the basics. And when they understand everything about faith, then move on to the next uh, principle. There you go. That was it. That was the, uh, the brief allusion to the Adam God theory. What did you take from the way he was addressing that subject, Bill? Uh, he was essentially calling out people who get into these gospel hobby topics that the church doesn't want us to talk about. And he, he essentially issued statement that I think would cause people to feel shame who were who, who were digging deeply into Mormonism. Like you and I were those kinds of folks. Uh, the lazy learners that are viewing this right now and will listen to this tomorrow are more of those kinds of folks. He's basically saying, if you don't stay in this little tiny box that we say is safe to be in, you are overstepping your bounds and you ought to get back in line. Right. And so when you've learned everything there is to know about faith, then you, need, you can go on to the next principle, repentance. Yeah. And then, and then he emphasizes that as if, if you're studying this Adam God theory, then the second principle is what you really need to be focusing on, which is repentance, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So that's something from uh, Von J. Featherstone, 1975. Then we get to the next year, October, 1976. This is the general priesthood session. President Spencer W. Kimball is addressing the priesthood assembled. And he talks about the Adam God uh, theory. And this is perhaps one of the more famous statements about it. Here's where he tries to give the impression that Brigham Young never taught it. Although he doesn't actually come out and say that because Spencer Kimball knows that he did, but he definitely denounces it as false doctrine. This is uh, timestamp 3.45. It's in the talk titled Our Own Leahona, President Kimball, the president of the church when I joined back in 1979. And this goes for about uh, 40 seconds. And feel a part of it. Another matter, we hope the Jew who teach in the various organizations, whether in the campuses or in our chapels, will always teach the orthodox truth. We warn you against the dissemination of doctrines which are not according to the scriptures and which are alleged to have been taught by some of the general authorities of a past generation, such, for instance, as the Adam-God theory. We denounce that theory and hope that everyone will be cautioned against this and other kinds of false doctrine. Boom. There you go. So definitely denounced, definitely declared to be false doctrine. But he gets a little squishy in his language when he seems to be denying that Brigham Young ever taught it. Did you catch that, Bill? Yeah. And I'll tell you, this this idea, when, when you start saying things that throw past prophets under the bus. I think you, as a Mormon, you got to be really careful, but you can see they want a much more palatable Mormonism to present to the world. And having this strange teaching is something that seems to 
plague them and bother them and kind of get under their skin for decades. Oh, absolutely. And there's a reason for this. And this is because this is one of the main teachings of the fundamentalist polygamous sects that broke off from Mormonism uh, some time back. If you're a polygamist fundamentalist uh, offshoot of Mormonism, then the odds are that you believe the Adam God theory as true gospel. And that's one of the things that sets you apart from Mormonism. So this is always the running gun battle between the LDS church and the fundamentalist church, even though they're not actually saying what it is they're talking about or why. Bruce McConkie will give a hint that that's what he's talking about later. But notice that President Kimball does not say that Brigham Young never taught this. Okay. What he says is that he has, he didn't even say Brigham Young's name, right? No need to be too specific. Just past church leaders are alleged to have taught, right? And alleged to have taught is a funny word. And it's being used in a very careful way here because alleged doesn't mean something's true or not. It just means it's alleged, right? Somebody's saying it. Okay. But doubt. it plants doubt. In common parlance, if we say alleged, then it's like, well, it's doubtful. Yeah. So he's using it, say, uh, let me get that quote again in front of me, where he says, um, we warn you against the dissemination of doctrines which are not according to the scriptures and which are alleged to have been taught by some of the general authorities of past generations. Okay, see, he doesn't say that they weren't taught by general authorities of past generations. He just says they were alleged to have been. So he wants to give the implication that it's a false allegation, but he doesn't actually say that because he knows it's a true allegation. Let's just set in stone here. We've already validated that Brigham Young did teach it, that it was on some level an official teaching in the church as it was part of the presentation of the veil at all the church's operating temples at the time. St. George. And he, Spencer W. Kimball here is acknowledging then that we have a past prophet who taught false doctrine on the very identity and nature of God, which is the, uh, which is the, uh, what's that scripture that we read earlier is the, is God the, 17, three, it's eternal life. It, it is eternal life to know the, the only true God and his son, Jesus Christ. And President Kimball's, Kimball's acknowledging that Brigham Young taught false doctrine about the very nature of God. Yeah, yeah. he's calling it false doctrine. Yeah. Absolutely, he is. I just want to be sure. Okay, you're okay. You are sure. <laughs> you are sure. By the way, I'll go off scripture for just a second. Yeah. The 14 fundamentals of following the prophet that uh, Elder Ezra Taft Benson came up with, yeah. uh, 1981 or 80. Anyway, he doesn't talk about the Adam God theory in there, but he does. Sort of, because one of his fundamentals, one of his most famous fundamentals is uh, it doesn't make any difference what dead prophets have said. It is the current prophet that we listen to. Right. Do you remember that? Correct. Living prophets trump dead prophets every single time. Right. Now, here's my question. And it didn't occur to me the first time I heard it, believe me, but it occurs to me now. Why would such an idea ever even occur to somebody to say, to put in a talk? unless they knew that there were instances where prior prophets had contradicted the current prophet. Right. That's the only reason you need a teaching like that. Otherwise you cross that bridge when you get there. Right. It would never even occur to you. Right. So that tacitly uh, acknowledges the fact that dead prophets have contradicted living prophets. And I just got a feeling that as far as examples of that go, Adam God was on the top of the list. Right. 
Okay, so now we get to go to Marky e. Peterson, October 1980 General Conference. He gives a talk called Adam the Archangel. Now, Marky e. Peterson had actually written a book about Adam. And uh, he talks about different things in there as they relate to. Sorry about that. That was unintentional. Keep going. <laughs> oh, I thought that was me. Marky e. Peterson. I, I really, that was completely a coincidence. Okay. Okay, so he's giving a talk, October 1980 General Conference. I'm not listening to it because I'm on the other side of the world in Japan on my mission. And he gives an extended argument in this talk about why it is that the Adam-God theory is not true. <laughs> and uh, he has two clips here. And we're not going to play the whole thing, but this is 1980. Uh, you can go to the church website. This is where we're going, isn't it, Bill? This is, uh, we're going to that that talk here. I'm going to put it up on the screen. I can full size it. Here we go. It's 14.15 and it'll go to 15.31. So a little over a minute. God had only one begotten son in the flesh, but Adam had many, including Cain and Abel and Seth. He lived for nearly a thousand years. He could have had hundreds of children in that time then how could it be said by anyone that he had an only begotten son in the flesh? How could all of his other children be accounted for? Were they not all begotten in the flesh? Were Cain and Abel and Seth and their brothers and sisters all orphans? Was any child ever begotten without a father? Adam was their father, and he had many sons. In no way whatever does he qualify as a father who had only one son in the flesh. Yet God, our eternal father, had only one son in the flesh, who was Jesus Christ. Then was Adam our God, or did God become Adam? Ridiculous! Adam was neither God nor the only begotten son of God. He was a child of God in the spirit as all of the rest of us are. Is that, does it stop at 530? Yes, that's okay. where we want to stop because he goes on. He goes on. He's really hot here. By the way, over oh, the days when we had an impassioned speaker in general conference. Y yeah, and I'll tell you too, he's an apostle, yeah. right? Brigham Young was a prophet, seer, and revelator who held all the keys and they were active keys. Does he really have the right to have essentially this there's this time distortion because he's he's in whatever year this is taking place and Brigham Young's back in the 1800s but you have an apostle who's putting a prophet in his place that seems out of line um it seems like someone's not following the hierarchy that's there I know well this is the game you get into when you are a true believing Mormon who takes this seriously which is if we go along with the idea that living prophets trump dead prophets what do we do with the dead prophet and a living apostle because the dead guy has the higher rank than the living guy. So why should we listen to this living guy who's not the president of the church? Now, of course, when the president of the church did speak in 1976, the clip we played from Spencer Kimball, he out and out said that what President uh, Young had said was false doctrine. Yeah. I don't mean to do ad hominem, but um, his argument actually does make more sense. His argument is better than, and I don't mean to be offensive, but his teeth. Did you notice how bad his teeth were? I think he served his mission in England. Is that what you're getting at? No, his, it just, it was kind of hard to watch. <laughs> I, don't I don't have the That's best so in the world, but those were rough. Okay. But he's making this argument here and his argument is really not very good. Now he's very impassioned about it. 
I think it makes sense if you accept everything that he's saying as correct. I don't want to go into breaking down his argument. All I'm going to say for purposes of this podcast is that this was a source of an impassioned speech in October 1980 General Conference by Elder Marky Peterson. And any argument that he has on the subject about Adam not being God, his argument is not with me. His argument is with Brigham Young. Right. Right. And and when you when you listen to it, that's really who he's preaching against is Brigham Young. He's is, there's nobody in the audience that's fighting for something that Brigham Young hasn't taught. Like these are just members of the church who are believing a past prophet. He's saying, don't do that. That past prophet was wrong. Right. And he has one word to describe a belief in the Adam God theory. Uh, one word to describe it. What is that? Myopic. Myopic. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's a little Russell M. Nelson humor. I hope you appreciated that. It was it was ridiculous. That was the word. Ridiculous. Yeah. And yeah. now we get, oh, go ahead. No, no, no. I've got nothing to add. You're good. Okay. Now, if you go to, we'll pick him up about a little over a minute later at 16.44 and we'll play to 17.05 when he uh, makes some conclusory comments. To the heavenly and eternal father of us all, if any of you have been confused by false teachers who come among us, bring them like young. young. You have been assailed <laughs> by advocates of erroneous doctrines. But bring them young. With your priesthood leaders, they will not lead you astray. Except they did. But will direct you into paths of truth and salvation. I bear you my. That was it. That was it. That was it. Absolutely. And you hit on everything. Exactly. He's calling Brigham Young a false teacher. Um, and what else did he call Brigham Young in there? Uh, I, I don't know. I just, what brought, came to my mind was your episode on wrong roads. That sound you just heard, that was uh, Marky Peterson throwing Brigham Young under the bus, right? Yeah. Boom, boom, boom. Reverse. That's it, Brigham. Prophet, seer, and revelator teaching false doctrines on multiple occasions. This one and that one demonstrable. Yes, and all the time not wanting to talk about the fact that Brigham Young really did teach this. Right? right. Nobody wants to tell you it's nobody wants to tell the audience, hey guys, let me just let me just own up. Brigham Young did teach this. He was wrong. He's the false teacher that I'm talking about. Yes, the second prophet through whom I I claim my authority Which from Joseph Smith. Teeth. His keys came through the same lineage, right? Yes. <laughs> you can't make this up except in Mormonism. Even David Miscavige has got his guys on the same page. So we've got that. And um, oh, and also at this time, this is 1980. So earlier that year in June, June 1st, actually, which I think is Brigham Young's birthday, if I'm not mistaken. But June 1st, 1980, Elder Bruce R. McConkie is getting into the act with his famous talk, The Seven Deadly Heresies, which was a speech that he gave at BYU. And there is no video that I'm aware of, but there is some handy dandy audio up at the BYU Speeches website. Do you have that? I do. Here it is. And this is 26.44 through 28.14. And the part I like the best is where he says, anybody who believes the Adam God theory does not deserve to be saved. Fear. Heresy six. There are those who believe or say they believe that Adam is our father and our God that he is the father of our spirits and our bodies, and that he is the one we worship. Brigham Young said that. The devil keeps this heresy alive as a means of obtaining converts to cultism. 
It is contrary to the whole plan of salvation set forth in the scriptures. Anyone who has read the book of Moses and anyone who has received the temple endowment and who yet believes the Adam-God theory does not deserve to be saved. Ooh, look at the crowd. Those ensnared by it reject the living prophet and close their ears to the apostles of their day. Is that is that good there? Keep going. We will follow those who went before, they say. And having so determined, they soon are ready to enter polygamous relationships which destroy their souls. There you go. <laughs> so he... He also says that Brigham Young is not a true teacher of true things. No, no. <laughs> I mean, if anybody doesn't deserve, anybody who believes this doesn't deserve to be saved, then he's including Brigham Young in that. Of course, he's not saying that, right? But he does indicate a couple of things here. First off, he makes the connection, although it's oblique, to the fundamentalist Mormons, right? That those who believe this, they set themselves up to enter polygamous relationships that destroy their soul, right? That's why he's saying that. And the other thing that he says there, are, are you looking for something, Bill? I, I'm just trying to find the text of that so that this... The it's under number six. Uh, number six. All right, let's see here. It's heresy number six. As I said once before, I start to think of uh, Casey Kasem here. Heresy number six is Adam God. <laughs> Casey Kasem here, yeah. <laughs> number six with a bullet nope there that's blood atonement sorry there it is there we go all right so that's what he says okay um we worship the father yeah so you've got it there can you enlarge that yep let's do it okay yeah the devil keeps this heresy alive it's a heresy you know if you start talking heresy by definition you're a heretic Right. And since Brigham Young taught the heresy, he's essentially telling the crowd that Brigham Young was a heretic. Yes. And the other thing that's really interesting, there's a number of interesting things in this small quote, is that he says, anyone who has received the temple endowment has no excuse whatever for being led astray by it. It's a little bit ironic, given the fact that the, the lecture at the veil in the temple endowment in, in St. George explicitly taught what it is that he's decrying and denigrating here. Okay, say that again. What it is, is he says, anyone who's received the temple endowment has no excuse whatever for being led astray by the Adam-God theory. And yet the irony being is that it was in the temple endowment that Brigham Young placed the lecture at the veil, which explicitly taught the Adam-God theory. And it's also, it's also important to note that certain parts have been removed, certain parts have been adjusted, and they've been done to hide the very thing that was taught originally. Yes. And also notice that he tacitly acknowledges that he knows. We'll get into this here in a second, too. He tacitly here acknowledges that he knows that Brigham Young did teach this, right? Look, we will follow those who went before, they say. Excuse me? Who's he talking about? He's mm. talking about Brigham Young. Mm. And right before that, he says, those who are so ensnared reject the living prophet and close their ears to the apostles of their day, But i.e. The, the living apostles, too. Go ahead. Here's the secret. Every 10 years, whatever guy you were following, he's dead at that point, right? Like these guys get called when they're in their 70s and 80s. And by the time, you know, whatever it is, 10 years, maybe 20 years at most, these guys are dead too. And I don't know how long it took me to realize that if 
living prophets trump dead prophets and that living prophets, whatever they teach, can overrule, even if they contradict what dead prophets have said. What special claim on truth do living prophets really have? Especially when all living prophets will eventually be dead prophets. Yes. Hmm. Except for those two guys who lay down in Jerusalem for a few days. They're right. Life. Exactly. All golden lads and lasses must as chimney sweepers come to dust or something like that. <laughs> yes. Everybody, nobody gets out of this life alive. We all owe God a death, those kind of things. Yeah, eventually they will be dead prophets themselves and the living prophets can then treat their teachings with impunity. Amen and amen. Thank you. Okay, okay, so let me see here. We So we did the seven deadly heresies and then there was, oh, the letter, the letter. This is like the song by the box tops. You should get a Kleenex too, and we'll wave it, and I'll go at a different a different rate than you go. <laughs> this is what Eugene England was singing when he got this letter. Elder McConkie just wrote me a letter. Do you even know that song? I hope some people know that song. Anyway, okay, so he writes him a letter because uh, Eugene England, who is a teacher at BYU, he's a professor, have been saying some things that got back to Elder Bruce McConkie, who was not at all pleased with what it was that he was talking because Eugene England was talking about things that Brigham Young had taught about, one of which was, the Adam God theory Adam wasn't God. the only thing, but there's this huge letter that he wrote and it's stamped confidential all over it. <laughs> uh, but amazingly enough, the letter somehow leaked. And so now it's in the public domain. And so we can look at it now. Now, if you go to uh, paragraph six, no, excuse me, page six, we'll go page first, then the paragraph. Okay. So page six, paragraph three. Uh, is that six? Yes. Yeah. Here we go. This is, um, Bruce McConkie writing the year after he gave the Adam uh, the Adam God part of his um, seven heresy speech, right? So that was 1980. This is 1981. Yes, President Young did teach that Adam was the father of our spirits and all the related things that the cultists ascribe to him. That's a pretty cool admittance, isn't it? Yeah, he knows perfectly well. He sort of uh, indicated as much in his speech, if you really parsed it out carefully. But yeah, he knows it. He knew it at the time. He knows that Brigham Young taught it. And he knows that when he's talking about they don't deserve to be saved if they believe it. Yeah, he's including Brigham Young in this. This is not said in ignorance. Um, this, however, he goes on, is not true. And what he means by that is that really what Brigham, President Young, even though he did teach this, it was not true what he taught. He expressed views that are out of harmony with the gospel. That's a pretty bold talk for a one-eyed fat man there. Got an apostle in 1981 telling Brigham Young that he was out of harmony with the gospel. I bet he wouldn't say that to his face. But be it known, Brigham Young also taught accurately and correctly the status and position of Adam in the eternal scheme of things. Okay, so now he's going to go into this other argument, which we really don't have time for. He's basically going to say there are times when Brigham Young taught the Adam-God theory and times when he didn't teach the Adam-God theory. So you've got Brigham Young contradicting Brigham Young, and you have to decide which Brigham Young you're going to believe. All of that, based upon my study, which is somewhat extensive in this area, is balderdash. Brigham Young never taught anything that was different than the Adam-God theory that I can tell in his published statements from 1852 to 1877. He was always very, very careful in the way he presented it. I know what he's talking about here. And I'll just say real quick, because it's five minutes after the hour, is this, right? 
when he says anybody's been to the temple and believes the Adam God theory is nuts and they don't deserve to be saved. That's because you've got Elohim talking to Adam in the endowment, right? They're obviously two separate people. So how could the Adam God theory be correct? If he's as acquainted as he purports to be with what the Adam God theory is, and I think he probably is, then he knows perfectly well that Brigham Young never said that Adam was Elohim. Okay. He said that Adam was God. And Adam was the God of this earth and that Elohim is a God above Adam. And it's actually Adam's God from the past and other incarnations. So there was never any confusion of those two by Brigham Young. But this is a common apologetic uh, explanation to try and say, no, look over here. Uh, Brigham Young taught standard Orthodox Mormon doctrine when actually he's not. Because in Mormonism, there's more gods than one. Newsflash. And Adam's one of them. And Elohim is a bigger one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this gets messy. I, when you and I talked this morning, I was asking you to explain all this to me, and I still am confused. But can we go to page six, bottom paragraph? And maybe <laughs> if you're confused, this is the time to move on quickly. <laughs> so, yeah, folks, if, if I'm confused, good luck. <laughs> Same all page, right. bottom paragraph. Yep. Page six. Yep. Letter from Bruce R. McConkie to Eugene England. There it is. Oh, yeah, I think you can give me credit for having a knowledge of the quotations from Brigham Young relative to Adam and of knowing what he taught under this subject that has become known as the Adam-God theory. President Joseph Fielding Smith, who is Bruce R. McConkie's father-in-law, as of the date this is written, uh, he had been dead for about 10 years. But President Joseph Fielding Smith said that Brigham Young will have to make his own explanations on the points there involved. Okay. So not only does he know about it, Bruce R. McConkie, all these quotes from Brigham Young that show that he taught it, but his father-in-law, who was also the president of the church for a couple of years from, I think it was 70 to 72, um, also knew about it. And their only explanation isn't trying to resolve it. It's to say, okay, Brigham Young's just going to have to explain himself to God because we can't make heads or tails out of it. And it appears that he's wrong. He's conflicting with what it is that current leaders of the church are teaching. Yeah. And uh, I don't have it handy here, but his uh, great father-in-law also is on the record as we showed earlier in the week, you between you and me also. Oh, right. Yes. Adam was, Adam was God. Right. Taking down a sermon, uh, notes of a sermon by Brigham Young. Exactly. Joseph yeah. F. Smith. Man, it goes deep, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. And this thing could go on for 10 hours. Easy. But we're going to restrict it to one. And I think I've got about 12 minutes to do this. Can I do it? No. But let's try. So let's go to page seven. This this uh, letter has so many gems in it. Page seven into first paragraph. OK, this is important because it shows that um, in contrast to Brigham Young, uh, Bruce McConkie believes that if you believe the Adam God theory, you'll be damned. So end of that paragraph. Is that page seven? In the first seven. paragraph? Yep. Into there? Okay. Page seven, the end of it. I repeat, Brigham Young erred in some of his statements on the nature and kind of being that God is. What was that scripture again earlier? Which one? 17.3? Yeah. John 17.3? It is life. This is life, this is life eternal to know uh, God, the eternal God in Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Brigham Young erred in some of his statements on the nature and kind of being that God is is one of these fundamentals. 
Um, I re- I'm sorry, I messed that up. Brigham Young aired in some of his statements on the nature and kind of being that God is, and as to the position of Adam in the plan of salvation, but Brigham Young also taught the truth in these fields on other occasions. And I repeat that in his instance, it must be this instance, he was a great prophet and has gone on to his eternal reward. But in the other instances, he's not a great prophet. He's a heretic and a false teacher. Right. Okay. But there is no actual contradictory teaching ever on the record by Brigham Young. Right. And then he concludes by saying what he did is not a pattern for any of us. God help us if we should follow a prophet of God as a pattern for us to follow in our life. But then this is actually the the sentence I was driving toward. If we choose to believe and teach the false portions of his doctrines, Adam, God, we are making an election that will damn us. Hmm. So this is how serious it is for Elder McConkie. If we believe the Adam God theory, then we will be damned. Hmm. Which is the opposite of what it was that uh, Brigham Young taught about it. Oh, now you're to the, this next part, right? I'm not even done with that letter yet. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm making sure I got the right one, but it's going to be messy. So go ahead. That's okay. Page seven, same page, bottom paragraph. There's a really good one there. Right there, wise gospels. This is Elder McConkie, 1981. Wise gospel students do not build their philosophies of life on quotations of individuals, even though those quotations come from presidents of the church. Period. End of quote. What do you think of that one? Isn't Bruce R. McConkie's own book, Mormon Doctrine, just an accumulation of some ideas that he and his father-in-law had and not something that's consistently found through the standard works and the scriptures of the church um, and the doctrine. Uh, I, I, I'm blown away by the fact that he could be speaking about himself and he doesn't even know it. Well, I will tell you that having lived through this, having studied it somewhat, Bruce McConkie, who got all of his ideas from his father-in-law, Joseph Fielding Smith, who got all of his ideas from his dad, Joseph F. Smith. There's a continuum there throughout the 20th century or most of it. The deal is this, is that their idea of doctrine is scriptures. Scriptures are called the standard works because they are the standard by which all truth is judged. Any statement, whether it's from a prophet or not, that does not comport or line up with the standard works should be rejected. That's their school of thought. Yeah. You don't think we could find anything in the Book Mormon Doctrine that's not really part of the standard works? Uh, You could find some things that are his own personal interjections, but there is so rife with scriptural citations. Yeah, everything's justifiable, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Including what Brigham Young taught at the St. George Vale. Yes, and hypnosis and all those other great things that are in there. Anyway, so that was that quote I love. Wise gospel students do not build their philosophies of life on quotations from presidents of the church. Yeah. You heard it here first. And now finally, page eight. Oh, this is a famous one. We always have to mention this sentence. Page eight, third paragraph down in the middle. Okay. So let me see if I can find this right there where you see where it says Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 on the right hand side. Yes. You got that. Now yeah. skip down two lines and says, oh, no, right after that. This means, among other things, that it is my province to teach to the church what the doctrine is. It is your province to echo what I say or to remain silent. Yeah, you you don't get to stand up and contradict us no matter what we do. Right. And and certainly don't be quoting a past president of the church who said something different than what we're teaching today. It is wrong to criticize leaders of the church, even if the criticism is true. 
<laughs> you have got all these sound bites right there, don't you? Fun stuff. Okay, so we're going to do a couple of other things here now in the seven minutes that are remaining. I think we can do this. Go a little long. You're good. I'm okay with it. Let's, okay. let's go as long as you need to. Well, here's the deal. Now that we've put forward the problem, right, which is Brigham Young said some really inconvenient things that the church wants to get away from. And the church now today has a much more correlated view of things that doesn't include Adam, God, in its theology, right? And we all know what that is, what the current Mormon teaching is. Well, now they come to this position in the church where in, I think it was 1997, they decide they're going to start publishing as study manuals for the church members, teachings of the presidents of the church. And they're going to go through each of the presidents of the church, and they're going to call out different things that they said from different sources and sermons under different subjects, right? So I think the first one was Brigham Young. Teachings of Presidents of the Church, Brigham Young, published in 1997. And I remember looking at this and thinking, well, my goodness, based upon the studies I've done, anytime that Brigham Young is talking about Adam, he's usually mentioning something about Adam God in there, right? <laughs> he can't help himself. It's something that he was very passionate about and that he believed very deeply was a revelation from God and that he had to believe it or be damned. So I was very interested in what statements from Brigham Young would be quoted in the manual having to do with Adam. And if you go to chapter 14 okay, of the manual. Talking, I had that other quote up there just to show the, the whole thing here with Brooks Summer Conkey, but I'll let that go. People can pause it, read that on their own time. Well, let me see here. Uh, we got, now let, let me hold it. I'm sorry, I've got to actually speak out loud. Now let all who may hear these doctrines pause before they make light of them or treat them with indifference, for they will prove their salvation or damnation. That's Brigham Young from Journal of Discourses, Volume 1, pages 50 through 51. And then here you've got uh, Bruce R. McConkie, who in addition to um, talking in his Seven Deadly Heresies sermon from 1980, that those who believe the Adam-God theory don't deserve to be saved, in addition to his letter to Eugene England, where he says that if you choose to believe this, you're making an election that will damn you. He also said in another sermon that was contained in a book called Sermons and Writings of Bruce R. McConkie, page 337. Um, he says, you talk about teaching false doctrine and being damned. Here is a list of false doctrines that if anyone teaches, he will be damned. And there is not one of these that I have ever known to be taught in the church. But I'm giving you the list for a perspective because of what will follow. Then he lists a number of things that he finds particularly objectionable and concludes with teach the Adam God theory that does apply in the church. OK, yeah. so in other words, if you teach the Adam God theory, that is something that is going to damn you. You it's and I will doctrine. And it's still used in the manuals today that the prophet cannot lead you astray. But okay. one of these two guys has to be wrong, right? One of these two guys right here. One of those two guys have to be wrong, don't they? Well, yeah. And this is puts it in a very sharp relief because you've got Brigham Young saying that the way you treat this doctrine is going to prove your salvation or damnation. And you've got Bruce McConkie saying, if you believe it, then you're going to be damned. So Brigham Young says, if you don't believe it, you're damned. And Bruce R. McConkie says, if you do believe it, you're damned. This is literally a situation of damned if you do and damned if you don't. <laughs> it's a Sophie's choice. And one of those guys has to be wrong, which means prophets can lead you astray, can't they? Uh, yeah. Hmm. Okay. Just so one, of these one of these people has to be wrong. 
Right. Or maybe maybe this is one of these grand jokes that Heavenly Father has. And uh, everybody gets damned anyway. Trickster God. Man, he is such a trickster. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. So everybody's going to get damned. It doesn't make any different what, difference what you believe on the subject. All right. So now are we ready to go to the manual? Yes. Okay. 1997. 1997. Teachings of Presidents of the Church, Brigham Young. So there's a couple of places where they take quotes from Brigham Young and they do things to them in order to avoid the Adam God content. Um, the first one now, was that chapter 14? Chapter 14. Under dispensations of the gospel. Yeah. And there it says, Adam, could you read that? Sure. So Adam, God was once known on the earth among his children, ellipses, as we know one another. By the way, those ellipses don't make any difference. I, I checked it out. No, but some of them do sometimes. Yes, that's why I checked it out. <clears throat> Adam, was this, Adam was this conversant with his father who placed him upon this earth as we are conversant with our earthly parents. The father frequently came to visit his son, Adam, and talked and walked with him. And the children of Adam were more or less acquainted with him. And the things that pertain to God and to heaven were as familiar among mankind in the first ages of their existence on the earth as ellipses, our gardens are to our wives and children, or as the road to the Western Ocean is to the experienced traveler. Okay, so there's nothing wrong with this quote. This is modern Mormon doctrine. That is what Brigham Young is teaching, according to this quote, right? Yeah. Now, if you look right there in that middle line, though, because they did something funny with this, where it says, and the children of Adam were more or less acquainted with him. Let me read the entire thing. The father frequently came to visit his son, Adam, and talked and walked with him, right? And the children of Adam were more or less acquainted with him. Notice that use of the word him there, okay? Because where that word him is in that sentence does not appear in the original quote from the Journal of Discourses. In fact, there's an entire clause that was taken out and made into that word. Do you have the Journal of Discourses? I think I do. On this. Right here, isn't it? It should be Journal of Discourses, Volume 9, page 148, paragraph 8. If you read to me the first three words of the quote, let me see if we can do that. Oh, I think I should be able to find. Is this paragraph 8? Yeah. So if you can enlarge this paragraph, this large paragraph that you have your cursor on there. Okay, very good. Now, if you go down here, um, it is because, okay, I'm, I have my cursor on it. Yeah, Adam was as conversant. Thank you for highlighting that, Bill. Adam was as conversant with his father who placed him upon this earth as we are conversant with our earthly parents. The father frequently came to visit his son, Adam, and talked and walked with him. That much is a correct quotation. And the children of Adam, now pay attention. And the children of Adam were more or less acquainted with him, is what the manual quotes this as, him. But what the actual discourse says is the children of Adam were more or less acquainted with their grandfather, and their children were more or less acquainted with their great-grandfather. All of that was taken out, and the word him was put in there. That doesn't sound very honest, RFM. No, well, it's not. It's not because what you would do is you put dot, 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 and then bracket him, bracket. And that tells you that you have omitted certain information. And by putting the word him in brackets, you're signaling that that's, this word was not there originally, but that you're putting it there for the use of brevity or whatever reason you're doing it. But the reason that, that's really an, that's an unethical use of changing words in an original document, correct? 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. No, there's no one who would justify that. You don't get to do that. And they, it's just interesting to me that they chose to take statements that are so controversial and then deceptively change them and put them into a modern manual. So you're essentially taking the false teachings, because you've already said this guy's a false heretic in these teachings. You've taken his teachings, which are false, and you've just reformulated them to mesh with modern theology. Right. And by the way, um, I don't think they have a choice about going to controversial statements, because anytime Brigham Young's talking about Adam, it's controversial. They're yeah. doing the best that they can with what they've got. But in order to do this, what they're doing is selling the audience member an idea of Brigham Young that he taught modern correlated doctrine about Adam. When if you actually go back to the source, he didn't. And they're monkeying with the quote in order to give it a false uh, presentation along those lines. So the thing that's difficult about this, and a lot of times it's hard for people to get, when Brigham Young starts talking about fathers and grandfathers, okay, what he's saying here is Adam knew his father. Now, his father is God, right? Okay, that's going to be Elohim, all right? But Adam's children knew their grandfather, okay? And Adam's grandchildren knew their great-grandfather. So it's all talking about the same person who is the God of Adam. So what is being implied here and intentionally implied by Brigham Young is that there is a very literal familial connection between these beings. And that it's not simply God the Father creating Adam out of the dust of the earth, but that there is this sexual procreation, there I said it, okay? Sexual procreation on the part of Elohim to create the body of Adam, and then Adam and his children and their children all have this familial relationship back to the God of Adam. I hope that makes sense, but that's why this smacks of the Adam-God theory. Once again, this is like one of those places where Brigham Young's talking along and he'll make a hint at it, right? He doesn't do the lecture on the veil and explicate everything every time he mentions it. But this is one of those that was so um, suspiciously Adam-God that it ended up getting this clause deleted and then replaced with the word him in the manual. Now that's one example. I've got another example. This other example is even better. It will blow your mind. You ready? Okay. So from the same manual, 1997 teachings of the prophets, Brigham Young, we have chapter four. Yeah. Give me a second to put it up on the screen. And there it is. And let me try and say that again. Okay. About that literalness. Um, in other words, uh, everybody knows that Adam had kids, right? There's famously uh, Cain, Abel, and Seth, right? Yeah. The ones we know the names of. Let's just talk about Seth, okay? So in other words, what this is saying is that God, Adam's God, is literally Seth's grandfather, just as literally as Adam is Seth's father, Okay. Did that make any make it any clearer? Or did it make yeah. it more confusing? No, no, I, I, that it clears up that to me. It doesn't clear up this whole thing to me, but it does clear up that part. Okay, so let's go to chapter four then. And this is under the subsection, knowing and honoring the Godhead. Yeah, you got it. We did a little prep work on this before. And by the way, I would I would highlight this, but the church does this thing that I think is intentional where this always goes over top of the quote you're highlighting. They're just and, trying to be helpful. You can't do it. Nope. So that's okay. You got it right there. 
Could you read that possibly? Annoying the hell out of me. Ah. Oh. <laughs> Our Father in Heaven. This is once again from Brigham Young. Can you read that, Bill? Our Father in Heaven begat all the spirits that ever were or ever will be upon the earth. See Hebrews 12, 9. And they were born spirits in the eternal world. Then the Lord, by his power and wisdom, organized the mortal tabernacle of man. We were made first spiritual and afterwards temporal. Or temporal, even. Brigham Young, 24. Yes. So here's the thing, is that this is once again in the manual, 1997, Brigham Young is being presented as teaching standard modern Mormon doctrine. Now, get this. If you go to the Journal of Discourses where this comes from, by the way, Bill, this is from volume one, pages 50 through 51. Remember that came up last week? Okay. I don't remember, but what was it? What was it regarding? Well, it's the it's 1852. It's the most famous and earliest and first statement that we know that Brigham Young gave about the Adam God theory. Okay, gotcha. And this comes from the very sermon. This line quoted in the manual not only comes from that sermon, but it is immediately before, immediately before. In other words, the very next words after this line are going to be his most famous pronouncement that most people have heard, if they've heard anything, on the Adam God theory. So do you have, so remember it ends, we were made first spiritual and afterwards temporal. Do you have Journal of Discourses, volume one, pages 50 through 51? And if you can make it a little bigger. Thank you. Okay. So if you'll notice this part that is highlighted, because this is not the LDS Church website and you can highlight it and still read it. This is Brigham Young speaking. This is where the quote's coming from. I will tell you how it is. Our Father in heaven beget all the spirits that ever were or ever will be upon this earth, and they were born spirits in the eternal world. Then the Lord, by his power and wisdom, organized the mortal tabernacles of man. We were made first spiritual and afterwards temporal. Remember, that's where the quote ended in the manual. Well, it's a good thing that the quote ended there in the manual, because the very next thing to come up in this sermon is, now hear it, O inhabitants of the earth, Jew and Gentile, saint and sinner. That's when our prophet, a prophetic declaration, doesn't it? Yeah, it's even got an explanation point in it. Ooh, that makes it even more important. <laughs> when our father, Adam, came into the Garden of Eden, he came into it with a celestial body and brought Eve, one of his wives, with one him. Them. One of them. Yeah, she was the best one. He helped to make and organize this world. He is Michael the Archangel, the Ancient of Days, about whom holy men have written and spoken. He is our Father and our God and the only God with whom we have to do. Every man upon the earth, professing Christians or non-professing, must hear it and will know it sooner or later. Uh, just, the, just a quick note. The apologists jump in here and they try to say, look, I mean, he's just saying that Adam's the only mortal you know, descendant of us that we'll have to do with. Nobody can see God in the flesh, all that kind of stuff. The reality is here, Brigham is acknowledging that whatever this idea is, it is going to be foreign to everyone. And you're going to have to wrap your heads around it. And it's going to, uh, professing Christians or non-professing, they must hear it and they will know it sooner or later. Um, this is a unique teaching Brigham Young is acknowledging. It The apologist explanation simply doesn't work. That is a very good point that you raised there. What I wonder is what were the people who were writing this manual for the church on the correlation committee thinking when they did this? Because they knew perfectly well that they wanted a quote from Brigham Young that was standard Mormon doctrine. So they go in, they find this one quote that was in the manual, and they knowingly, knowingly quoted that in spite of the fact that the very next lines 
or where Brigham Young says that Adam is our father and our God and the only God with, with whom we have to do. I call that chutzpah. Yeah, you almost wonder if you and I were writing the manual, we would have stayed clear away from these. If that, if our goal was the same as the church's goal, yes. it almost makes me wonder if somebody is working for both sides, if you know what I mean. I know, but the problem is you got to have Brigham Young say something about Adam. I mean, it's this whole manual. We've got to study this thing for the whole year. What does he say about Adam? Well, it's hard to find anything he says about Adam that isn't uh, talking about the Adam-God theory. Yeah. No, I get it. So they have to take it from somewhere. You just have to be careful and use ellipses, change words, or ignore whole paragraphs. Yes. And this is part of the deception. Now, I think there's an Adam-God deception that goes on and that continues on in the church as manifested by the quotes being used in the manual that we've talked about. There's also the Adam-God dilemma, which you had talked about earlier, which is damned if you do and damned if you don't. That's quite a dilemma. Yeah, and maybe if I can just say a word here. So we have Brigham Young on the record teaching this idea. We have other prophets and apostles testifying to the idea as well, contemporary to and slightly after the life of Brigham Young. We also have members of the church who are generally testifying that they know the teaching is true. Brigham Young, there's a quote uh, from Brigham Young that says, others also know through the Spirit that this teaching is true. So you have a prophet, other prophets, other prophets and apostles around them, uh, members of the church who all believe by the power of the Holy Ghost that this teaching is true. Now you have modern leaders, and uh, that includes prophets and apostles, as well as members of the church generally, who disbelieve and know that this is not true by the Spirit, by the power of the Holy Ghost. And what you end up with is a demonstrable example of why prophets apostles and your very own testimony had by the spirit are untrustable. Yeah. And it's not like you can say this is um, an inconsequential doctrine. No, it's not like from John. I'm sorry. What was that scripture again from John? Uh, and this is life eternal that they might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Yeah. That, that's going to plague the church until the end of time. That's scripture oh. right there. Absolutely. And I can't remember when the last time I heard it was because it doesn't get a lot of play anymore. No, they're not using that. Yeah, no, no. Mormonism isn't the same thing I grew up with uh, 15 years ago, nor the same thing you grew up with 25 years ago. Or the same thing that Brigham Young grew up with. Sure, sure as hell not what he got. Right? <laughs> um, and oh, yeah, like I was saying, it's not it's, this is not inconsequential. This is not whether the word of wisdom applies to green tea or black tea or uh, grain tea. Right. Um, or decaffeinated coffee or anything like that, where you might have a prophet saying it's okay to drink decaffeinated coffee and other ones later on saying, no, you shouldn't drink decaffeinated coffee either. Yeah, this is an agreement like uh, David O. McKay and Joseph Fielding Smith. This is much more serious. It's the nature of God. Which is life eternal. (laughs) Right, because you got to know who God is to have eternal life. Yeah. Did Brigham Young know who God was, according to Bruce Donkey yes. and Spencer W. Kimball? No. Um, did Spencer W. Kimball and Bruce R. McConkie know who God was, according to Brigham Young? No. Yeah. Okay. Just want to be clear. Well, this is like that great time in uh, what was a Catholic history where he had two dueling popes and they decided to excommunicate each other. Yeah, that's the other thing, too, right? When you have two people at equal authority and one tells the other that you're out of line, you got to go. I don't know which one we're supposed to believe because they're equal in authority. Right. It's just easier when the 
one, one of them's dead. Yeah, then then you can say living authorities trump dead authorities. Yes, you win by virtue of the fact of still being alive. Now you can see why living prophets matter. Yes, just like the president of the church is president of the church by virtue of the fact of having outlived his 14 other colleagues. Yeah, this isn't just the use of the word Mormon. This is this is big stuff here. Yeah, and talk about a, a hashtag victory for Satan. Yeah, yeah. this, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this whole, I mean, that's why the devil keeps this heresy alive, remember? Yeah. Hmm. Well, let me see if there's anything else here to talk about. There's so much more to talk about. We're not going to talk about it tonight. By the way, if anybody wants to hear more about this um, or find out more about um, documenting uh, the fact that Brigham Young really did teach this above and beyond the sermon at the temple, there was a great uh, paper that Gary Bergera published in 1982 in Dialogue, which does a great job of going over all these different quotes. There's like 20 of them over time that Brigham Young gave. And in fact, I think it's the Fair Mormon website. I could be confusing my sources at this point, but I think it's the Fair Mormon website that even acknowledges that, the, that Brigham Young talked about it around 20 times. Yeah, just FYI, up on the screen right now is that Joseph F. Smith, sixth president of the church, because F's the sixth letter of the alphabet. That's how I memorized that. Mm -hmm. Joseph F. Smith, this is his own journal where he speaks about Brigham Young teaching the Adam God doctrine that we talked about earlier. So folks can pause their screen and, and see that as well. Yeah, this is from 1871, where apparently Joseph F. Smith, an apostle, was present and listening to Brigham Young speak. And he just gives a very, very small note on this. President Young followed this other speaker, right? President Young followed, said Elohim, Jehovah, and Michael were father, son, and grandson. Look at that. That feeds into a second witness to what you were explaining earlier. Yeah. Then it goes on. They made this earth and Michael became Adam, uh, et cetera. <laughs> this stuff is so fun. I'm really liking Mormonism again. Mormonism is a fascinating religion, I think. And that's why I'm still fascinated by it, even though I don't necessarily subscribe to the truthfulness of the many of the historical claims that Mormonism has. It was a very well-articulated position. Oh, well, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much. Yeah. So so that's everything about Adam-God, the deception, the Adam-God deception, the Adam-God dilemma. Yeah. And 635, where I am on the West Coast, so I, I'm going to say I got this done in an hour because we spent a few minutes talking before I started. Correct. And so what we can do now is we can put up on the screen. We would ask you guys to, to call in by all means. We would want you to call in specifically uh, to talk about this subject. If you've got a question, if you want to point out some other document, if you want to make a note of something that we didn't talk about or we were unclear of, uh, you can do that by calling 435-200-BIST. I almost missed the fist. I'm sorry, Bill, because I just noticed I'd actually inadvertently deducted 10 minutes from my time. I'm actually about way over. I'm like a, an hour and 10 minutes into this. I, I apologize. We are so good. So, folks, you can call in 435-200-3478 or 200-FIST, 435 being the area code. Um, I'm going to put this up on the screen, not your screen, but my screen, and uh, we're ready to rock and roll with some phone calls. And uh, this will be fun. Uh you guys, I hope you see this. RFM, by the way, put this episode together. I'm going to go the other way, opposite direction. Um, you can see the time and research done to go back into every one of these sources, to read them, to listen to them, to catch the quotes. Uh, he outdoes me every time. Uh, folks, this takes a lot of time and energy. I appreciate the folks who donated during the show. Um, 
if you could, if you could possibly um, go to mormonismlive.org and donate uh, to the program that, that rewards, you know, us for the work that we're doing and the time and energy we're putting into this specifically radio free Mormon. Um, would you uh, call her? What's the name? Tim Rathbone. Tim, Tim, you are on the air. Mormonism live. You are on with radio free Mormon and bill real. Uh, what do you think about uh, Adam as your Heavenly Father? Would you like to hear the story about the Bruce McConkie letter and how it got out? Uh, I would love to know. Is it you? I think I've heard this story before, but I don't think the audience has. Go ahead and tell us. Okay, my friend Jay Bell got a, got that copy. He was in an office that Gene had. Well, he was in, Gene was in Europe when that letter came. And the letter came, and it was from the desk, and... Jay saw it and opened it up and made copies of it. And he stamped that confidential. It's a green stamp. I've seen the letter years ago before Jay passed. But he, with a green stamp, he put confidential all over it. He showed a copy to Ron Prittis, and that's how it got to the Tanners. Mm. And then Gene had a follow-up letter that I, that I had a copy of. I don't have a copy anymore. I have a typescript of it that Gene sent back to McConkie when he saw it like a year later. Mm. So that's the story on how that letter got out. Good. Glad. Thank you. Thank you very much, my friend. Yeah. Cause I think the Bruce R. McConkie, which is saying, did you know about the quotes that Andy had put together, like hundred or 200 quotes on Adam God, every quote from Brigham Young and, and from the diary you just showed and a whole bunch of other sources. Yeah. So RFM, what's, what's the source again for where most of the quotes are and the argument is kind of laid out. You said it was like, was it Gary Bajera? Yeah. He puts it together in a letter and he weaves it, excuse me, a That's paper. One of them, but Gary didn't have these. Um, Andy E had, and a friend of his were trying to put together a magazine for the general authorities to teach them about what they don't know about the history of the church. Yeah. And he compiled a whole bunch of files together. And I got copies back in the nineties, uh, polygamy, the temple, all this stuff. Yeah. One of the guys involved was, um, Oh, I can't remember his name right now, but, um, they, they compiled everything that they could find in the archives for different subjects. Gotcha. I, I know I've seen tons of quotes in various places. I'm familiar enough with the quotes to know that you cannot in 2021 argue that Brigham Young did not teach this, which makes the comments by Spencer W. Kimball, Bruce R. McConkie, Marky e. Peterson, Vaughn Featherstone, and all the other uh, living and dead leaders all along the way uh, that, that there's a contradiction here and you can't just uh, deflect and dismiss it away. But thank you, caller. I appreciate the phone call uh, so much. Run, run. Rodney Turner wrote his thesis on it at BYU, and he later denied that he did. Oh, well, yeah. I, again, so, that's the first place the I thought. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank thanks, you. guys. Have a great uh, day. Well, you too. Thank you. And one of the other things I wanted to note was that of all 13, I think it is, gospel topics, essays, the church has put up on its website in order to deal with difficult issues. There's one that's missing. There is one that's not there, huh? Why, why yeah. do you think that is, RFM? They have not put up an essay on the Adam-God theory, and I think the reason is is because they know they're going to have to admit it, just like the guys and gals at Fair Mormon did in their article. And doing that is something they cannot bring themselves to do because it would be like throwing red meat to the polygamists. 
from their point of view. Yeah, yeah. Caller number two is Sabrina. Uh, Sabrina, you are on the air, Mormonism Live with Bill Real and Radio Free Mormon. What do you think about uh, Adam God? So I already knew a lot of the stuff that you guys um, were telling us, but you started telling us about the lecture at the Vale that I'd never heard much about. And I just had two questions about that. Um, you said that the lecture at the Vale originally was about 30 minutes long. And I'm wondering what else was contained at that time. And then you also said that there still was a lecture until 1990. And I'm wondering what was in there if they took Adam God out. So Perfect. thank you so much for answering this. Yeah, we'll hang up with you and uh, and uh, we'll answer those, okay? Thank you. Thank you. All right, so uh, let's start off with how do we know it's it was 30 minutes long? Oh, because that's what, wasn't it Wilfred Woodruff had, wrote that in his journal because he was the president of the St. George Temple, I think. So yeah. he was very much involved in in this whole process. And he's the one who wrote, you'll find this in the article on the Fair Mormon uh, website that we had alluded to before. That's part of the material I skipped to get to the substance that we wanted to talk about in the lecture at the Vale. But it was 30 minutes long. President Young had given it. It was 30 minutes long. And then he has, you know, President Brigham Young, he's president, so he can't be writing things down himself like you or I would do, right? If, we, if we're going to give a lecture, we're going to write it down. No, he gives the lecture. And then he has scribes such as John Nuttall write it down and other scribes write it down and present it to him. And then he goes over it and he makes corrections. And then they write it again and then he looks it over and makes corrections. And then they write it again. And finally, it gets to the point where Brigham Young says, we have it perfect. All right. Caller number three, you're on the air, Mormonism Live with Bill Real and Radio Free Mormon. Uh, you've got, uh, do you have a comment about Adam God? Yes. Hi, guys. How are you doing? What's the Hi. name? How long, are you? This is, this is Ty, longtime listener, longtime donor to the cause. So love it. Good Thank work, you, guys. Hey, uh, you know, as you as you as you go in and, and find out a lot of weird stuff within the teachings of the church, I, I, I sometimes ask myself, how did how did this doctrine not gain favor? Um, you know, there's a lot of weird stuff that the church grabs onto. Why did this one? You know, what was wrong with it? I mean, it made it all the way to the temple. It was so important, but yet was just at some point not good enough. Like, yeah. what do you guys know what happened there? Great question. We'll hang up with you and we'll respond to that. Okay. All right. Perfect. Thank you. My, my two cents, and I, I want your point of view. My two cents is that it, it couldn't rationally be argued. Like when you sit down and try to figure out all these relationships, it just doesn't work. You, what are your thoughts on why that, why this, this is the one they picked to, to put away? Why do you think that happened, RFM? Okay, so that's a great question. I don't necessarily know the answer. I do want to add the second part of the question, uh, the answer to the first caller or the last caller, which is that if you want to find the different permutations of the endowment ceremony, there is a website that has those. And so you can look at the different permutations of the lectures at the veil, as well as all the different things that are said over time. And I, I don't know what the name of that website is, but I expect Google would be your friend there and you could find that pretty easily. So now getting to this question, Brigham Young saw himself as a prophet in the same stead as Joseph Smith. In other words, the same way Joseph Smith received revelation, Brigham Young felt that he could receive revelation as well. And he felt that the members of the church would accept it the same way they accepted what 
Joseph Smith had to say based upon his prophetic mantle and the fact that he's teaching it. Now, a lot of people did believe what Brigham Young said because he was the president of the church and he taught it. And actually, it does make some degree of sense within a Mormon framework. It's just a little bit more three-dimensional kind of framework than the one that's taught today. But there were others who didn't. And one of those main guys is Orson Pratt. And Orson Pratt was vocally disagreeing with Brigham Young on this very subject. And that's one of the reasons that before Brigham Young died, he rearranged the way that seniority is calculated in the Quorum of the Twelve, such that Orson Pratt would never ever become president of the church. He got shoved back down in the um, uh, in the totem pole there. But this wasn't the only thing. Uh, Brigham Young also taught that, um, this is also in that Bruce R. McConkie letter about Eugene England, that God is progressing in knowledge and that he's eternally progressing. And Orson Pratt said, no, no, he's not pro progressing. He knows everything there is. So it's not the only argument that these two had. And as history played out, uh, Orson Pratt's views in both of these regards were the ones that were um, adopted by the church. Orson Pratt, is on, as far as Adam God says, no, there's no Adam God. God is God, and he created Adam out of the dust of the earth, just like we read about in uh, the scripture. So he was very much a, a literalist and a fundamentalist on the creation account, at least that specific creation account. Um, having said all of that, Orson Pratt ends up being the guy who um, prevails ultimately over the president of the church. So time exonerated Orson Pratt. But I think that based on my reading of Brigham Young, he was somewhat surprised and chagrined that what he had to teach was not accepted as readily and as fully by the membership of the church as what uh, Joseph Smith had said. And I really think this is a turning point in the church. Um, I'll, I'll conclude with this. Sorry, you asked a very small question. I'm giving a very large answer, which is I think that this is the turning point where Joseph Smith is a prophet in the grand sense, receiving revelation like hell isn't having any, translating ancient scriptures, doing everything, right? And then Brigham Young comes along and he, I think, wants to continue in that vein. He finds out that the church is really not interested in having another prophet like Joseph Smith. And so after that point, it seems that the presidents of the church become more managers, caretakers, custodians of the church than they are really prophets. And I think it's been that way ever since. And I think we can trace it back in some sense to the reception of Brigham Young's revealed teachings to the church. Love it. So we will finish off here with caller number four. This is Michael. This might be, this might even be Heavenly Father on the phone right now. We had Heavenly Mother last week. No, 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 it's not. Um, okay, so this is a different Michael. Michael, you're on the air, Mormonism Live with Bill Real and Radio Free Mormon. This is not our grandfather or our grandson or father or, yeah, this is just another guy. So, Michael, you're on the air. What can we, what, what do you have for us? I mean, my, my uncle, um, he was an institute teacher for many years and he, was good about preparing his lessons and studying the material. And he came across this, you know, for the half dozenth time he told me, and he said, this is what eventually led him out of the church. Um, and he couldn't, he couldn't get over the fact that he was kind of ostracized by some of the other Institute teachers. Um, 
instructors because he, you know, took great interest in this and he was kind of inspired by this. Um, and I, I just think it's bad that people are shamed um, for digging into, you know, what a lot of people find to be meaningful doctrine to give nuance to their faith. And I, I see people in the chat feeling that. And um, I got a buddy who's listening to the show um, who might feel that way. It's Josh. Shout out to Josh. Um, love you, man. And that's, yeah, that's my call. Thanks guys. Perfect. Thank you, my friend. No, I I was going through this whole thing and I was tumbling to all this stuff. This is back in the very late 80s, the beginning of the 90s. And I'm piecing this together and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I'm onto something. I'm finding out all this deep doctrine. I'm, I'm putting it together and I'm making a pattern in this whole thing. And then I delude myself into believing the leaders of the church aren't teaching this, but that's because it's so sacred. And they must know it's sacred. And in their hearts, I'm sure they believe it just the same as I do. But that doesn't really mesh with President Kimball's words or Marky e. Peterson's words. Like, I hear you. I did that too. Mm-hmm. But when you really sit and go, like, let me be logical, it is absolutely a set of leaders throwing another set of leaders under the bus. Right. It is. And so if the whole idea in Mormonism is that you have the Holy Ghost and you can know truth from air, and yet nobody can be confident about knowing truth from air. If a clock is only right twice a day, what use is the clock, right? Um, if, if, if a calculator only works some of the time, then you can't trust the calculator at all. You can't just go by its answers. Uh, that doesn't help you at all. So either, either prophets are good at what they do, or they're hit or miss, or they're very ineffective. And I'll let the audience be the judge, but I think you laid out the case really well. Well, thank you very much. Thank You're you. Welcome. When they say when they say this is eternal life to know God, and they can't agree on who God is, then we got a problem. In the one and true living church of 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 our Father in heaven upon the earth, this is the true gospel. This is this is the Lord's plan, and we can't figure it out. No, it's pretty basic, and this is one of the reasons that there's no essay on it. This is one of the reasons that the church does not want to talk about it. It's because it leads to nothing but problems. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of this quote, and we can close on this one if you're ready to rock and roll. Ready to rock and roll, Bill. And to be perfectly frank, there have been times when members or leaders in the church have simply made mistakes. There may have been things said or done that were not in harmony with our values, principles, or doctrine. 